We're in the book of Matthew chapter 3. And, um, you know, I, I'm grateful for everything the Lord has been doing in the midst of our church with all the blessings God has sent our way. What a wonderful life it is to be a Christian. You know, I, I'm, I want to be clean. I want to be pure before the Lord. And uh, sometimes I'll hit a bump in the road and I'll have to wash up a little bit. But, you know, thank God we got greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And we are victorious in Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to open up your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Matthew chapter 3. We're going to begin reading ver with verse 9. We're going to read the rest of this chapter. And um, there is some things in this uh, rest of this chapter, the closing part of this chapter, that is so rich and so deep, so powerful. John the Baptist was a powerful preacher. He was not just a prophet, he was a preacher. John the Baptist knew how to get under people's skin. He was a preacher. A preacher knows how to get under people's skin. And John the Baptist was no exception. He knew. Well, in fact, he was the get under skin greatest prophet of all. Because Jesus Christ said he was the greatest prophet. There was none greater than John the Baptist. And what's interesting about John the Baptist, he never performed one miracle. John the Baptist didn't perform one miracle, didn't heal anybody. He just went around preaching. So if you want to be great in the kingdom, just go around preaching. Amen. Tell them folks about Jesus. Let's all stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to begin with verse 9. And think not. I mean, no, there's a lot of times we need to think not. Think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. This is the Jewish people, the, the scribes and Pharisees speaking. For I say unto you, John says, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Someone would say, what is the stones? Well, it could be literal stones around Jordan, or it could be Gentiles standing around. Anyway, they considered the Gentiles lifeless like a stone. Verse 10, and now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather its wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan, unto John to be baptized of him. And John refused or forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and thou comest to me. And Jesus answering and said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw, John saw, the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon Jesus. And a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I want to use for a subject this morning the baptism of John. You may be seated. There's some things that I want to bring out this morning that will help us understand some of the statements where Jesus said, suffer it to be so now, for it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. A lot of folks don't understand that statement at all. And then a lot of folks don't understand the baptism of Jesus and, of course, the baptism of John. And we're talking about the baptism of John. Now, I don't mean John. John the Baptist was never baptized in water. He was baptized in the Holy Ghost when he was in his mother's belly. John the, John the Baptist never was baptized in water. At least there's no record that he was. And I think the reason for that is, is John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And the Old Testament prophets were not baptized. 
Oh, there were washings and there were certain rituals that the Old Testament saints did and the prophets did. You remember Elisha poured water on the hands of Elijah. There were certain washings. And of course, the washings really took to uh, monotony when the scribes and the Pharisees began to you know, tweak it. And how many know when you get a religious guy tweaking things, it's going to turn out to be a dirty bird? Amen. And so the, the Jews kind of tweaked it, and, and they got into a place where they were big on washings. But John the Baptist being the last prophet in the Old Testament, actually carrying over into the New, uh, the old prophets were not baptized. There was washings, uh, circumcision, the Red Sea crossing experience, and the Passover lamb. But John the Baptist comes to introduce a new baptism, a baptism that is good for the Jew and the Gentile alike, a baptism that would change lives, a baptism of repentance. In fact, people would go into the Jordan River and they would confess their sins standing in the water. John getting ready to put them under. And I can just see John say, are you done yet? You know, if it had been me out in the water, I'd been confessing for several hours. John would have called for a lunch, sack lunch. But they would confess their sins. Aren't you glad it ain't that way today? Hello. I'm glad it's not that way today. I, I, I confess them to Jesus, but you guys have no business looking in on my sins. Amen. Because you say, how many sins you got? None of your stinking business. But I'll say this. You got any sins, they stink too. I try my best to live clean and right. And one thing we need to understand too is that John the Baptist introduced one that was going to baptize in the heart. He was going to remove circumcision. He was going to remove the traditional washings. He was going to remove the Passover such as they knew it, Jesus would become our Passover. And he was going to renew the crossing of the Red Sea, for we too are going to cross through the Red Sea through the person and the embodiment of the Lamb of God in Exodus chapter 12 through 14. And Jesus is the Lamb of God. Remember John the Baptist said, Behold, looking at Jesus, the Lamb of God was taken away the sin of the world. Now, this is an amazing thought process when you look at it. John the Baptist baptized people for repentance of sin, and he baptized them in the Jordan River. John the Baptist was about six months older than Jesus. John and Jesus were cousins, not first cousins, second cousins. Mary and Elizabeth were first cousins. And you remember the story that Jesus would be born as a human born, but he is pre-existing. He's God. And Mary, as a virgin, brings forth God, robed in flesh. And Joseph gives the little baby the name Jesus. And Joseph pretty much adopts Jesus to raise him because Jesus became man like us in whom there was no sin or wickedness and evil. He was pure. He was both God and man. Jesus Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him. And we need to understand that this was an odd situation, really was, because the prophets had prophesied it. I, I want to stop right here. I want to correct some things. John the Baptist never baptized infants. He never baptized babies. He baptized sinners. Now, no matter how your baby acts, your baby's not a sinner yet. It will grow into sin, sinnerhood, sinhood, or whatever you call it. And believe me, they do grow into it. But John never baptized an infant or a baby. Because the people who walked out into that water, Jordan, knew exactly what they were doing. They were identifying as a sinner, and they needed their sins forgiven, 
and they were following John's instruction because there was going to come one bigger than John, mightier than John, that would baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. You see, Jesus never baptized anyone in water, just his disciples. Jesus is the great baptizer, and he baptizes spiritually into the body of Christ as we give our heart to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist didn't baptize any infants or babies, and I, and I want to explain something to, to you. I mean, I know Chris and Joel have a little tiny baby. Would you entrust your tiny baby into the hands of John the Baptist? No, really. He's eating locusts. He's dressed like a wild man, camel's hair. He's out there putting people underwater. You filthy sinners, get right with God. Now, would you hand your baby to him? Listen to me. You're not going to hand an infant to John the Baptist. He, why? Because he's crazy in love with Jesus Christ. He's crazy full of the Holy Ghost. I remember when they brought my baby brother home. I was just a little guy. Uh, I might have been seven or eight. I, didn't, I haven't done the math, and I hate math, so I'm not going to do the math. But my baby brother, they brought him home. I was seven or eight, something like that, nine. And I was a little bit... You know, I, well, I needed to be drugged. I was bad. I needed medication. I was wild. And mom found some medication. And she applied it to my blessed assurance. And the medication stung all the way up to my brain and corrected my problems. And made soothing of the chemical imbalance I had. <laughs> when they brought Mark, my baby brother, home, they let, they let Tim, and Tim was younger than me, play with him. Mark, the baby. They let Galen play with him. They let Mary, my sister, play with him. They let the other kids play with him. And mom looked at me and said, James, you are not to play with the baby. I said, Mom, I don't want to anyway. And she said, why don't you want to play with the baby? I said, because the baby leaks. But the reason Mom didn't want me to play with the baby, because she didn't trust me. And by the way, she was smart. John the Baptist, you wouldn't entrust a baby to John the Baptist. And I want you to understand, you can entrust an infant, a baby to Jesus Christ. But let's remember, you can't entrust your tiny baby, infant baby, to its eternal destiny based on some priest sprinkling or baptizing your baby. There are millions of people probably in hell today because they thought they were okay because somebody baptized them as a baby. They died thinking they were okay because they were... Let me tell you, friends, you've got to be fully conscious, fully aware of this baptism, this repentance to Jesus Christ. And if you're not fully conscious, fully aware, you ain't got it yet. Amen? Come on now. I'm preaching better than you're responding. Woo! Now let's look at something re really interesting. John did not baptize infants or babies. And the third thing I want to bring out is this. I want, I want to bring out two amazing cousins. These are two amazing cousins. Not our second cousins, but how many know, how many got cousins in this room? Aren't they amazing? I mean, don't break your hand getting it up, but aren't, aren't your cousins amazing? I, I I love my cousins. My cousins were good. But all of my cousins were sinners. I was a sinner. And you could look at cousins and say, hey, cuz, sinner, how you doing, sinner, cuz? But these two cousins, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, were the most unique cousins on planet Earth. Because cousin John who later got the title Baptist, Cousin John was born full of the Holy Ghost, baptized in the Holy Ghost. 
Cousin John was baptized by his unborn cousin, just, just, just as Mary conceived and, and uh, Jesus was in the womb of Mary from the virgin birth. Cousin Jesus baptized cousin John in the Holy Ghost. How that happened, I don't know. But I know this, in the first chapter of Luke, the Bible says that when Mary told Elizabeth what had happened, that the little cousin John leaped for joy and was baptized in the Holy Ghost. Well, who did that? Well, that little cousin Jesus in mommy's belly, Mary, did that. Because Jesus is a pre-existing God. Isn't that good? Hallelujah. And so, you know, we look at the two cousins. There's something else. John the Baptist is full of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus is the sinless Son of God. Can you see them two playing together? They're not playing cops and robbers. They're not playing Jew and Gentiles. They're not playing, I don't know what they did. What do you do with a guy that's full of the Holy Ghost? He's being your cousin and you're you're sinless. What are you going to do with that? Jesus was the Son of God, sinless. That had to be a unique playtime. How many would agree that would be a unique playtime? And when Jesus Christ gets you born again, sanctified, changed by the power of God and baptizes you into the body of Christ, when you meet another believer that's full of the Holy Ghost, that's a uni- that is a very unique meeting. We don't have them very often, but it is a unique meeting. You can't tell me that Jesus didn't spend time with John growing up because I know better. Elizabeth, uh, Mary went to see Elizabeth, stayed there three months when she was pregnant and came back. And so I know they got together at times. And, and you know, John the Baptist is watching Jesus. And all John the Baptist, cousin John Baptist could find with cousin Jesus was, there's no fault in him. He's pure. He's sinless. Because the Holy Ghost in John the Baptist was teaching him who his cousin really was the Son of God. Isn't that good? Amen? Don't you wish all of you could have little baby Jesus and they all be perfect? No, because you would be miserable with your imperfections. But cousin Jesus was sinless. He was a sinless son of God. They spent time together. Now let me just uh, go a little bit different direction because I want you to understand what's happening here. John the Baptist is baptizing people and, and he's warning them the axe is laid to the root of the tree. He's warning them that, the, that Jesus Christ, when he comes, he'll thoroughly purge the floor with a willing hook, willowing hook. And, he, and what they did with the willing hook, willing hook they, they took wheat and it was gathered in a pile and it was like a pitchfork, a, a willing hook. And they would throw it up in the air when the wind would come off the west, east, off the Mediterranean Sea. They'd throw it up in the air and the wind would blow away the chaff and the wheat would fall down for harvest. And John said, it's like that. The chaff blows out into the wind. It's gathered and it's burned, but the wheat is gathered into the barn. He says, that's what it, Jesus is going to do. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And the word fire there could mean, yeah, I believe there's fire in the Holy Ghost. How many believe there's fire in the Holy Ghost? I believe there's fire in the Holy Ghost. Most of you don't, most of you, I have to tell you, you've got backfire. It ain't fire in the Holy Ghost. I met a lot of Christians have backfire. But anyway, but, but Jesus shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. So I agree that the Holy Ghost has fire, but I also need to understand that the Simple, simplistic interpretation of this is not the fire of the Holy Ghost. It is Jesus will baptize you into the family of God. He will baptize you by his spirit in the church, into the person of Christ. He will baptize you into the ministry and into the work of God with the Holy Ghost. He will give you power. He will give you strength. He'll baptize you in the Holy Ghost. And if you refuse, you'll burn in the lake of fire. You'll be baptized in the lake of fire. 
That's one place I refuse to go. Amen. The angels would take me there if I you know, was to lose my way. The angels would drag me there. I, I guarantee you I wouldn't be going happily on the way. Let's get it done. I'd be resisting, and the angels would be dragging me, and I'd be begging and screaming, oh, no. You know, let me just stop right here. There's people maybe in this room, and I know there's people listening to me preach on YouTube or live streaming or whatever. You can be so tough and so arrogant. You are such a macho, such a powerful person. Bless God, I'm not worried about it. But when you stand before Jesus Christ, and you stand there naked without the blood of Christ, and you stand there before God without the mercy of God, you're going to cry and scream and wail like a baby all the way to hell. You're not that big a hot shot. Amen? Hello. Well, my mama said there'd be days like this. <laughs> Jesus Christ is walking now, he hasn't performed miracles yet. Jesus Christ is not, he hasn't got into ministry yet. He's getting ready to be baptized. And Jesus walks from Galilee all the way down to Barbera, which is deep in the Jordan River, down below uh, the um, uh, Judea area. And so Jesus walks 60 miles to be baptized of his cousin, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is baptizing people. You can find this in the first chapter of St. John. And Jesus walks 60 miles. He's not performed a miracle yet. Jesus has not been announced as the Messiah yet. John the Baptist has mentioned him coming. But Jesus has walked 60 miles alone. Now, I don't, when I say alone, there was others there, and they were probably talking about, whoo, John's really awesome, you know, he's powerful, and there a lot of, lot of talk about the greatness of John, and I'm sure Jesus got to hear a lot of that on the journey of 60 miles. And when he gets there to Barbera, where John's baptizing in Jordan in the wilderness of Judea, down deep into the Jordan River area, Jesus walks up, and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus walks up to John. And John doesn't say, hello, cuz. Jesus Christ says to John, baptize me. And John says, no. I am not going to baptize you. I have need for you to baptize me. He tried to talk Jesus out of being baptized. And basically what was happening here is John the Baptist was saying to Jesus, I'm the one that needs to be baptized. Even being one filled with the Holy Ghost, I still need to be baptized of you. Jesus, you're perfect. You're the Messiah. You're the Lamb. You're pure. I know how you live. I know you don't need to be baptized. And Jesus Christ said, do it anyway. Because I want to identify with all sinners. When you baptize me in the Jordan River, you, I'm gonna, you're going to baptize me like everybody else. You're going to baptize me like a sinner. John, I want you to treat me like a sinner. I want you to just treat me like a sinner. Just baptize me in the river. Treat me like a sinner because it has to be done in order to have Eternal life come to planet earth. You have to treat me like a sinner. And John took him in the river and baptized him in the river, treating him like a sinner. Let me say, at that baptism, John, Jesus was treated like everybody else, treated like a sinner. And at that baptism, from there to the cross of Calvary, everybody that didn't honor Christ treated Jesus as a sinner. Now, there were those that saw him and called him Messiah. There were those, but the, the leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, they treated Jesus as a sinner. And when they finally took him to the cross of Calvary, they treated him like anybody else that was crucified on a Roman cross. They treated him like a sinner. They pulled out his beard. They beat him with a cat of nine tails. They pulled his flesh from his body. They spit upon him. They ridiculed him. They drove nails in his hands and his feet. They hung him on an old rugged cross. 
They treated him like a sinner because at his baptism, he was identified as a sinner with us. He walked among us as a sinless one, but treated as a sinner, went to the cross of Calvary and died on the cross of Calvary as though people looked at him as a sinner. But God looked at him as the Lamb of God. God the Father looked at him as a sinless, pure son, his son. And Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross of Calvary. By the way, they put Jesus in a grave just like a sinner. They took him down from the cross just like a sinner. They put him in a grave. That's the end of it. But whoa, three days and three nights, hallelujah, the cave, that, that tomb had to let him go because it was not possible that the grave and death could hold him. And he rose again from the grave. Our Savior broke the powers of the darkness, death, hell, and the grave. And he got up and shook off all the powers of evil, took the keys from the devil, took the, the keys of death held in the grave, and ascended back to his father, sit down at the right hand of God, and he says, okay, I'm going to start interceding for you. Isn't that good? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was treated like a sinner at that baptism. And that's why John didn't want to baptize him, because John knew he wasn't a sinner. But John went ahead and baptized him because Jesus said, it must be so. It becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. This has to happen. I have to be treated like a sinner. I have to be treated like everybody else. I have to be the supreme sacrifice. I'll go through the, through the land, healing the sick, raising the dead, opening blinded eyes. I'll show God's mercy. I'll show God's power. I remain sinless, but I'll still be treated like a sinner. And I'll be crucified on the cross of Calvary, but God will not see me as a sinner. God will see me as the perfect Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. There'll just be a moment of darkness that God will see our sin and your sin upon the cross of Jesus Christ. And in that darkness, I don't know what happened in that darkness when Jesus hung upon the cross, when he became sin for us. I don't know what happened, but whatever happened made me saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. The atonement was done. Woo, praise the Lord. And so when John baptized Jesus, the Bible says he come up straightway out of the water, and as he come up out of the water, God had already told John the Baptist through the Holy Ghost. The Father had told John the Baptist, I'm going to give you a sign. I, I'm going to show you, and when you see the Spirit of God coming upon him to abode on him, that's your sign. And John the Baptist, when he baptized Jesus Christ, up out of the water, Jesus Christ arose as though he had died and now rose again from the dead. He came up out of the water and the heavens began to echo and thunder and God began to proclaim, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, Gabriel announced the birth of Jesus and Gabriel announced the birth of John. But when it came time for the announcement that Jesus lived, died, and rose again from the grave, Jesus Christ, the Father parched the clouds, and the Father says, I've got this, Gabriel, sit down. I've got this, angels, take a seat. And God the Father says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And the Bible says the Spirit of God came and descended, remaining upon him. John chapter 1, remaining upon him aboding upon him. The word abode means for a, cert, for a certain journey, for a certain travel existence. And the Holy Ghost came upon Jesus for a certain journey, a certain task. And that journey is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That journey is the task of dying for the sins of mankind. I love that, don't you? John the Baptist baptized him, and what a glorious day that must have been. And, of course, some people stood back and said, that just thundered. Others said, oh, yeah, that was thunder. Others said, no, that's the voice of God. Some believed it. Some didn't. That's the life of Jesus Christ. Some believe. Some don't. Now, Jesus was baptized, picture of death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he would walk among us and be identified as a sinner. 
He would die on the cross as the Lamb of God. He will rise again as the eternal pre-existing Son of God. And he will bring eternal life to all those who will trust him and believe in him. Now, whoo, I just preached myself happy right there. Some of you wasn't listening, but that's good. Amen. But um, the Bible says the Spirit descended as a dove and lighting upon him as a dove. Now, I don't know that it was literally a dove. But they do sing the song on the wings of a snow-white dove. God sent his pure, wheat, white love, whatever. A sign from above. Amen? And that's what John saw. He, on the wings of a dove, God sent his sweet love. And a sign from above. John received the sign. And Jesus spoke of another sign. Did you know there were two? Um, well, Jesus was baptized in the New Testament, but did you know there's an Old Testament saint that was baptized? Did you know that? There was an Old Testament saint that was baptized. He was baptized in the Mediterranean Sea. He was baptized in the whale, Jonah. Jonah was baptized in the belly of the well. So I said, well, that just says fish. It don't say well. And my King James Bible chapter 12 says it was a well. Matthew 12. Either way, it could have been a bluegill big enough to swallow Jonah, and I would say that was a well of a fish. <laughs> Amen. Now, Jesus was baptized in death three days and three nights. Rose again. The baptism pointed to that. The dove gave that sign. And Jesus Christ said, there'll be no sign given to this adulterous and sinful generation but one. As Jonah spent three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, in the belly of the well, so shall the Son of Man spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, in the belly of the earth. Now, Interesting. What's really interesting is Jonah was swallowed by this big fish. And he, how many know he needed, some, he, needed some, he needed some support? He needed some life support there. Many would agree he needed some life support. And, and uh, Jonah is swallowed by the whale, and there's only two ways out of that whale. Vomit him out on dry ground, as the story says, or the back end. I'm sure glad chose, I'm sure glad God chose the front end and not the back end. But it's interesting because God didn't choose the back end of the grave to come out, He chose the front end of the grave to come out. He chose to let everybody see it. Now what's interesting is Jonah's name means dove. Isn't that beautiful? There's another dove mentioned in Genesis at the close of the, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and sent him back to the Father, there's a new world, a new life. When Jonah came out of that well, new world, new life, ready to, and of course he didn't, he didn't do good with it. He was kind of retarded in some areas concerning that, but he didn't do right. But um, the, the thing is, is that when Noah in sixth chapter of Genesis seven and eight, when Noah took all the animals into the ark, and you know, you know the story, and God destroyed the earth with water, everything to have breath in its nostrils, He destroyed. Um, after the deluge, after the wrath of God with the waters, in these waters the canopy broke, the ice. Instant freeze in the North Pole, instant freeze in the South Pole because the canopy was ripped and broken. The Bible says the water came from above and beneath, and it was broken up. So we know that during the, during the time of Noah, it probably was not a blue sky. It was probably a pink sky because there was a canopy over it, and it made a, 
uh, a greenhouse effect and that people got bigger, there was more oxygen, the animals were bigger, the people were bigger. And so when the canopy was rent because of the wickedness of mankind, instant freeze in the North Pole, South Pole. That's, that's why you find mammoths with grass in their mouth, frozen. Instant freeze. So the waters were pretty cold and Noah was in the ark close to a year. And when it finally rested, it rested on Mount Eret. And um, so Jonah wants to know, how's it out there? Now, Jonah is down in the ark, and he can only look up because there was only one window, and the window wasn't on the side with curtains. The window was straight up because God didn't want Noah looking anywhere but straight up through this whole judgment thing. By the way, God wants you looking straight up through this whole judgment thing too. And so Noah's looking straight up, and so he doesn't know if the waters have totally receded from the earth, so he sends a raven, a vulture, out of that window. And that raven, that vulture, goes out, and that vulture never returns, never comes back. Because the raven is a flesh eater, and it loves dead things. And so the raven, when it left and went to the window, it just went from carcass to carcass, because even though the water was up, the dead carcass were floating on top of the water, so the raven would just fly over to one dead carcass to another dead carcass, and the raven would say, Woohoo! I found an awesome tenderized buffet! The raven is enjoying the buffet. He never returns. Never returns. So Noah says, well, I'll send the dove. And the wings of a snow white dove. The wings of that dove. I'll send a dove. And so the dove goes out the window and the dove just circles. Just goes and flies and just circles and circles because it had no place to land. Because the dove's not going to land on a dead carcass. So the dove comes back to Noah, and Noah takes him back into himself. Noah waits, I think it's seven days, he sends the dove out again. The dove goes out, and the dove, when it comes back, it comes back with an olive leaf in its beak. The dove does. And so Noah knew that the waters had receded. He knew that it was okay now. And that dove was such a blessing And then the dove went out the third time and never returned until the baptism of Jesus Christ. The New New Testament is the dove circling, or the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the dove circling, no place to find rest. God couldn't find rest. The dove circling, Old Testament. Jesus is the dove with the olive leaf in his beak saying, there's hope. The judgment has receded. The waters have receded. There's hope. And Jesus Christ raises again from the dead because he soothes the wrath of God. And Jesus Christ raises from the dead and he says to his disciples, I'm going away. But I'll not leave you comfortless. I'll send you another just like me, the Holy Ghost. And so Jesus went back to heaven, and 40 days later, on 50th Pentecost, comes the dove again in the form of cloven tongues of fire, lighting upon the saints of God. The dove returns. Only this time the dove returns fiery. Isn't that good? I love that, don't you? Pretty good stuff, isn't it? And the dove never, never came back to Noah. And Jesus Christ sent the dove, the Holy Ghost, to planet Earth to never come back to him until the Holy Ghost has fulfilled its course with you and I. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And even when the rapture of the church takes place, the Holy Ghost is going to stay here. 
Because you've got other brothers and sisters that's going to come along and receive Jesus in the tribulation during the outpouring of God's wrath. There'll be others saved. You say, I thought the Bible teaches the Holy Ghost will be taken and and only he who now led it will let until he be taken out of the way. It's not talking about the Holy Ghost, talking about the church. The church will be taken out of the way. Let me tell you, friends, there's a lot of people in this world would like for us to be out of the way. Now, that's another dove. The dove of the Spirit of God, the blessing of God. How many are grateful for the fact that God takes care of his children? He does. And Jesus Christ has paid a tremendous price for us. And the scripture is very clear that Jesus Christ came and he identified with us as a sinner. He was treated like a sinner, but he treats us like a saint. See, Jesus never treated a sinner like a sinner. But the scribes and the Pharisees treated Jesus like a sinner. But Jesus never treated a sinner like a sinner. He always loved them and healed them and blessed them. He said, well, what about the scribes and the Pharisees? They were worse than sinners. And he did rebuke them a little bit. And that's good. I'm glad he did. Gives me a little slack and lead point when I'm preaching. But Jesus Christ, and, and, and hear me because there's a shirt without a pocket again. This is a golfing shirt. Golfers must be really poor. They can't get a pocket on their shirt. I shouldn't have said that because some of you are sitting in this room and you're, you are goofers. I mean golfers. <laughs> Hello. And so we stop and think about what Jesus Christ did for us and he went to the cross and he took our sins and he took our death and he died the death of a sinner, though he was not a sinner. He took our sins, he took our death, he died, he went to the grave, he got up and he rose again from the grave. And that was a sign for all generations that Jesus lives, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus broke the powers of the grave. It's our sign. Our sign is our Savior is not dead. God is not dead. The coming one is not dead. King Jesus is not dead. He's coming back. And he's coming back for you and I. And he's not coming back for those that are not looking for him or not loving him. He's coming back for you and I that... We, too, are not dead because we've been risen by the blood of Christ. We've been changed by the power of God. We're not dead. You say, but what does it say in Thessalonians chapter 4? The dead in Christ shall rise first. Talking about bodies, not talking about people in general. You know, I realize this body that I have is not an incredible piece of work. Let me rephrase that. This is a piece of work. But anyway, but the real me lives in here. I'm trapped. Help, I'm trapped. I'm trapped in a buffet and monster. I'm trapped in a monster that can't walk past the candy bar. I'm trapped. But me, I live in here. And it's me that's redeemed. One day I'll get a brand new glorified body, but it's me. I live forever. I live on because of the sweet blood of Jesus Christ and the powerful blood of Jesus Christ, the strong blood of Jesus Christ. Now, let me stop here just for a minute in case I miss something. Some of you are sitting there saying, preacher, you haven't missed nothing. Well, maybe I have. Let me look real quick in case I missed something. I try to remember everything I was going to say to you and All I could do is remember things I shouldn't have said to you. Amen. You say, preacher, I don't know about you. I don't know about myself. You know, I want to go back to the 60 miles that Jesus walked. That must have been one of the longest walks for him to walk. Because at that point, he was going to be baptized 
and the sign would be given. And we'll be starting next Sunday on the fourth chapter. And his ministry begins. And he goes into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Actually, God didn't, and I'll mention this next Sunday, God didn't take Jesus into the wilderness to be defeated. He took Jesus into the wilderness to beat the socks off the devil, to beat him, and he did. I want to say to everyone in this room, we are living in perilous times. The end is very near. We're close to the coming of Jesus Christ. We're close to tragedy. We're close to World War III. We're close to horrible things coming our way. I want to say, don't face any of those things without the big hand of Jesus Christ. Your children need a daddy that's born again. Your, your children need a, a mother that's born again. Your, your children need a, a, a grandpa and a grandma that's born again. We need each other. And so I got baptized. And the reason I got baptized was because I wanted to identify not with sinners, I did a good job of that when I was a teenager. Let me know what I'm talking about. All you saints out there, look at me. Kick that halo back a little bit so I can see it, eyes. When I was young, I identified quite well with sinners. And after I got saved, I wanted to identify with my Savior. And so I went and got baptized in water because I wanted to identify the same identification that Jesus did as a sinner to identify with us. I wanted to be baptized in water so I could identify with Jesus that he suffered, he died, and he rose again. And that's why it's important to be baptized. Because he identified with us through his baptism, we identify with him through our baptism. Now, that's good preaching. Amen? You just go right ahead and pop your bubble gum. That's good preaching. Amen? I love it when someone comes into church and they're chewing their gum. I love it. I, I love it. I don't mind it all, especially when they pop the bubbles a little bit. And it pops. And I'm trying to pray and they're chewing their gum. And you may have one. You may have some in your mouth right now. No, you don't. You're blue in the face. You just swallowed it. But anyway, but, you know, the only difference between people that are chewing their gum in church and popping it and snapping it and chewing their gum and a cow out in the field chewing its cud is the intelligent look on the cow. I know what you're thinking. Preacher, you should not be so lighthearted when it's time to come to the Lord yeah, you need to come to the Lord. You need to understand that Jesus Christ has two options to do with you. Jesus has only two options with you. One is you identify with him and he save you and wash you in his blood and give you eternal life. Or the other option is baptize you in fire. Jesus only has two options with you. He has the options to save you or to burn you in everlasting lake of fire because you're not written in the book of life. That's the only two options he has. You think he's got other options. He doesn't. He, he came and did, did his best, which is the best. He died on the cross of Calvary. Now it's up to you to have Jesus Christ be born in you so that he doesn't have to put you in the lake of fire. Someone said, well, I won't serve a God that puts people in hell. Actually, you're putting yourself there because right now we're giving you that choice. Amen? So we're giving you that choice. So I've got living to do. No, you've got dying to do. You come to Jesus, you'll have living to do. But you ain't got no living to do until you have Jesus Christ in your heart. And then you've got living to do. All you've got right now is dying to do if you don't have Christ. 
So we're going to give an invitation. And we're going to encourage you to make your way to an altar. You're not coming to me. You're not coming to this church. You're coming to Christ and you're asking him, please be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what you're doing. You're coming to Jesus. You're not coming to Jesus to do him a favor. You're coming to Jesus to do you a favor. You're not coming to Jesus to, boy, here I am, Jesus. Aren't you lucky you got me? Well, he had you before. You're coming to Jesus because you don't see Jesus in Revelation say, please, pretty please, would you come? The closest you see it is when he's knocking on the door and he's talking to supposedly Christians at that point, open up your heart and let me in. Uh, he's talking to the church as a whole. But usually you don't see Jesus at that Revelation 3.20. You see Jesus saying, repent or else. I'll come upon you quickly, repent or else. Say, so what's repentance? Take a good guess. You'll figure it out. I think it was Dale Moody. It might have been Charles Spurgeon, but one of those two great preachers, a woman come forward in one of their meetings and said, um, I don't know how to repent. And I think it was Dale Moody said, well, just confess your sins. She said, I, I can't remember them all. And Dale Moody said, take a shot at it. You'll be surprised. You know, I still repent over things I did when I was a teenager. Now, I know I'm covered and I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. I know I'm going to heaven. But I'm embarrassed about the way I lived. I'm embarrassed how I acted when I was a teenager. I'm embarrassed the way I acted when I was a child. And I've been forgiven of all that. But when I remember those things, especially when this last book I wrote, when I remember those things, I say, God, Please forgive me. I'm sorry I did that. And when you're reading the book, when it comes out, you'll be saying, Lord, please forgive Pastor. <laughs> yeah, but I am forgiven. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. We're going to invite you to come to an altar. It's still early. And um, you can start to identify with Jesus. We'll be in the fourth chapter of Matthew next Sunday. But I want you to see the, the baptism of John and the importance of John doing what he did. Even though John said, Jesus, I'm the sinner. You don't need to do this. And Jesus says, yes, I do. Because the same way you treat me like all these other sinners are going to do that to me on the cross and I'm going to fulfill salvation and eternal life for every man isn't that good God has spoken to some people today God has spoken to some people today why don't you choose today as the day to come to Christ we're going to give an invitation we're not going to hold all the long because we're going to have communion in just a little bit but I want to invite you to make your way to an altar if you need to do that today